Independent rural hospitals don't often have the resources to provide all the specialty care and services to their community that they really want to. Lower patient volumes make it hard to sustain the cost of specialists, advanced equipment, and added staff. So, how do rural hospitals remain sustainable while expanding access to more types of care? Well, Rachel, with service line partnerships, shared specialty providers, and mutually beneficial affiliations. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 8 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So today we're talking about partnerships and collaborations that help rural hospitals provide more types of care to their communities, going beyond the basics of primary care, hospital care, and a function in ER. That's right. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of independence versus interdependence. This is a concept our guest shared with me a few weeks ago, which really helps to put into perspective the value of the relationships rural hospitals build with others. And our guest today is Brian Long, Chief Executive Officer of Memorial Healthcare in Owasso, Michigan. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Brian. Well, thank you. Uh, and it's it's my pleasure to be with both you and Rachel today, uh, JJ. So, uh uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and Memorial Healthcare? Sure. So, well, you already mentioned uh, I'm currently the president and CEO of uh, Memorial Healthcare up in Owasso. Uh, Memorial is a 162 bed uh, community hospital. Uh, it is actually the only hospital located in Shiawassee County. Memorial currently employs right around 1,500 providers and staff. So we also happen to be the county's largest uh, employer. Uh, as far as myself, uh, I, I've been uh, honored to be the CEO here at Memorial since uh, the 1st of January, January 3rd, I believe, of 2013. So just completing eight years now in my current capacity. And I had also served as the CFO for just under two years prior to that. Uh, my background includes a prior position as a CEO in a critical access hospital up in northern Minnesota, as well as a, a couple of CFO positions, uh, including one right here in Michigan down in, in South Haven. Uh, prior to that, uh, I worked for uh, a hospital management company who focused on providing management and consulting uh, types of services across the country to over 200 community hospitals. Uh in that capacity, I work with between 25 and 30 hospitals, uh, primarily through the Midwest. Uh, and then again, prior to that, I, I worked in public accounting, focusing on healthcare, consulting, and assurance services uh, for several years. And even before that, I served uh, in the military, actually the, uh, the Marine Corps, for uh, uh, four years. Um, and that kind of rounds out my, my professional background, if you will. Uh, both my wife and I were both born and raised in mid-Michigan, uh, in the mid-Michigan area. I attended uh, Northwood University, where I received um, both an undergraduate and graduate degree in business administration. And I also attended Central Michigan University for uh, postgraduate work in healthcare administration. Uh, my wife and I have two growing daughters, and we, uh, one of which also works in healthcare right here in Michigan. And we also have been blessed with uh, three grandchildren. So that's, uh, that's in a nutshell. That's a little bit about Brian and, and Memorial. 
Well, after that introduction, I'm so excited to get this started, Rachel. Uh, Brian brings a lot to the table, a wealth of information. So now that we've established uh, who you are and what you do and where you're at currently, uh, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. But Brian, what is your why? In other words, what motivates you and what gets you out of bed in the morning to do what you do? Well, that's a that's an interesting question, JJ. But I guess for me, it's it's a it's a fairly easy one to answer. Uh, I enjoy what I do. Uh, I enjoy where I do it, and and particularly with whom I do it with. Uh, and it is, I believe, uh, a significant benefit to the communities that we serve in in those uh, in, in those endeavors. I think what we do is very important to the overall well being of our communities. Healthcare is something everyone will need at some point. It is a safety net of our community, if you will. Uh, and we must be ready and, and able uh, for the community to rely upon us. Um, you know, I, I know when I look at a community to reside in, besides simply a job or even a home, I look to the community's infrastructure, you know, which will need or benefit from uh, things like schools and parks recreation or activities outside of, of your job uh, or, or even family activities. Things like, again, uh, availability of transportation. And of course, healthcare services is one of the most important things that we rely on from time to time. So I, while I find my role at times uh, very challenging, it is also exceptionally rewarding on a personal and professional level. Uh, and I hope that we are making not only positive contributions and benefiting our, our, our patients and, and those that we care for. But I hope that we're benefiting the community in an overall sense as well by providing that safety net, that assurance, that confidence, that when they need us, we'll be there for them. Brian, you and I are both working in independent rural hospitals, and we've talked on Rural Health Rising before about how important we believe it is for our community hospitals to maintain their independent status. Um, but you like to distinguish between independence and interdependence. So from your perspective, what does it mean to be interdependent versus independent, and why is that distinction important? Sure. Interdependence communicate, or excuse me, independence uh, communicates uh, really operating uh, on, on a solo basis, uh, on one's own, apart or separate, uh, and a reliance on, on just yourself, if you will. While interdependence denotes, I think, uh, for me, collaboration, mutual benefit, uh, reliance to and yet from others. Uh, so it, the, the idea maybe goes back, if you recall, and this, this might be dating me a little bit, but uh, there's an old Simon and Garfunkel song, I'm the Rock. Uh, and many in healthcare have taken that approach. I'm a rock, uh, as, as the lyrics go, I'm an island, I built walls and a fortress if you will, uh, to, to surround me so that none can penetrate. And one of the questions I ask frequently of myself is, why do we do that? And actually, there's some pretty good reasons why we do that. And I think it's at the heart of what makes interdependence at times difficult. And that is, from time to time, we've seen uh, large systems in particular that exist in healthcare today today. Uh, and and there, there seems to be a, a motive for these systems at times uh, to, to simply expand or control rather than to, as I said before, mutually benefit. Uh, so community hospitals have become at times isolated and have restricted uh, some of their movements due to that, that lack of trust 
and that ability to collaborate uh, rather than to simply be, uh, if you will, taken over. So first and foremost, interdependence for me requires a mutual benefit. Uh, and that is, I believe, best defined by each party, not by the, the other side, if you will. Secondly, interdependence requires trust. Uh, and trust in, in, in the motive of the other guy that at, at, at the level of trust can be, I guess, strongest when both have something to gain, but also something to lose. Uh, that's the problem. And as I said before, a trend in healthcare and in healthcare's recent flight toward things like mergers and acquisitions and forming even mega systems. It, it's not about improving patient care or safety. In most cases, it's simply about building either fiefdoms or control and putting the name of the hospital or practices in yet another community, and, of course, making the investment bankers and transaction folks uh, even more wealthy than they are. So uh, I guess interdependence is something that, that requires that trust and mutual benefit, and, 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 it, and it expands your capabilities without releasing or letting go of your ability to make decisions what's best for your community and your organization. So that said, at Memorial Healthcare, for example, what kinds of partners and collaborators do you work interdependently with? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question, and and of course, first let me let me tell you how we start the process uh, a, a little bit, at, at least as I see it. Uh, we try to start that process with a clear understanding and identification of the reasons behind that collaboration. Most importantly, how will this improve our commitment to the communities that we serve? So will this improve access to care, improve quality or safety? And will it make the services possibly more affordable? But we also why ask, why is the other guy, uh, if you will, doing this? And if that is not apparent, then I, I guess maybe a, a way of put it, the, 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 the spider senses start to, to tingle, right? It's like, what, what, what's in this for him? And if I can't answer that, if that's not apparent, if he can't communicate that effectively, that, then I want to I want to know what that motive is, and so we start from from that basis. One of our foremost goals at Memorial is our focus on quality and safety. Memorial is is leading uh, is a leading hospital in quality and safety in the Mid Michigan area. We're we're really the only Leapfrog A rated and CMS four star rated facility throughout our region, and we lead in all of the HCAP inpatient scores except one, where we're actually co leading. So it is you know, that that importance where we're looking for a potential partner that can bring benefit through that collaboration to us rather than simply putting a name together. Um, and, and of course, we want to be able to provide that same kind of benefit back if we can uh, and see that 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 collaborative effect uh, in, in a in a quid pro quo manner as well. So I, I don't know if that gets entirely to your question, Rachel. I you know, I guess you ask. Um, maybe in a little different way, but I, I look at how we start it. And then from there, we look at possibly how we can uh, increase our capabilities um, from from our existing uh, position uh, in a way that uh, extends us further than we'd otherwise be able uh, to do on our own in, an, in a truly independent sense. So what are some, do you have any specific examples of some of those partnerships, whether it's maybe the ability to bring in a service line that you wouldn't be able to have without a partnership, or uh, maybe it's a particular 
type of provider or specialist? What are some of those things that have been that mutual benefit that you guys are doing at Memorial? Sure. Let me let me give you two. Let me give you one one that is directly clinically related and and at the heart of some of the the major focus that Memorial has had over the last several years. We've we've worked very hard at developing uh, one or two, actually uh, right now two or three, what we would call world class service organizations or service lines within our organization. The first is in our area of neurosciences. Uh, we've we've built and recruited. Uh, a significant uh, a group of physicians that practice in the neurology area and covering just about everything from soup to nuts. We have, for a community hospital of our size, we, we right now we have uh, 12 different providers in that service line, uh, and uh, they do a great job. However, one of the areas that we wanted to augment further in our neuroscience areas is in the area of neurosurgery, and particularly in preparing better for um, being uh, what's referred to as a stroke-ready facility. And so we partnered with a, a, um, an organization that had built a, an outstanding neurosurgical program and actually just received comprehensive status for their service line in neurosurgery. But they were lacking in significant ways in the, neuro, uh, in the neurology area. So here we had this wonderful neurology uh, group doing great things, but we could extend that further by partnering with a neurosurgical group. They had an exceptionally talented group of neurosurgeons and still do, uh, but really needed support in that, in that neurology area for things like interoperative monitoring, follow-ups, uh, you know, care and treatment within the hospital, which we provide all of those now. And so that is a great win-win. And that is what I'm talking about, a mutually beneficial uh, standpoint where neither is a winner or loser. It's not a zero same sum game, but we're both contributing and benefiting from that relationship. Um, so JJ, I want to pose that same question to you uh, because we're no stranger to partnerships and collaborations here at Hillsdale Hospital. So what are some of the examples of that um, for what we're doing here? And did you get any new ideas from Brian just now? What I like to do is when we look at a partnership, a collaboration, uh, as Brian said, it's got to be mutually benefit uh, both parties. And it's I look at it from our pillars. You know, we have people, finance, quality, growth, and service. And will it benefit those pillars that can strengthen our hospital? So is it a collaborative and an initiative with quality? And we've done that here. We've had many collaborations with MHA and Keystone Project, and the list goes on and on. It's mutually benefiting. I've also had on the other side of that providers come to our community that just want to use us. And, you know, they're just going to come in and and they just want access to our, our patient population. I'm not giving that up very easy, and I know Brian doesn't either. You know, we understand the the need in our community because we live here every day in rural America. And we're dealing with, you know, individuals who have poor outcomes. And uh, these are individuals with high comorbidities. And, and we know what our community needs the best. And so when we see these individuals come in with ideas and just one of the pillars of I want to give you access to capital but I can't explain to you what I'm going to do, that's very concerning. The last example I'll give is in our relationship with Ascension. 
Uh, with Ascension, we have a relationship with Tele-Neurology, uh, and that is going very well. Um, we're launching that. Uh, and we have Tele-Stroke services. So we have a stroke cart that will uh, be utilized both inpatient and the emergency department. That's mutually benefiting. My patients who can come in, instant TPA protocol, and we go through the process and we get the patient the care that they need. Because I'm certainly not big enough here in Hillsdale uh, to be able to do that type of, of surgery and those services. So uh, that's a relationship. And it's mutually benefiting both of them for the important purpose of taking care of our patients. So, Brian, as you look at growth strategies, new modalities, new services for your community, how do you evaluate whether you need a partnership, affiliation, collaboration, or whatever it is to provide that service versus providing that independently or in-house, so to speak? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and and it's one that um, of course, as I said before, we start from uh, the understanding, and it's very very specific about the needs. And then once we've defined those needs, we we ask our question uh, ourselves the question, you know, is is this something that we can build or buy, or for lack of a better term, buy, but really collaborate? Uh, in, in other words, is it is it attainable? Uh, and is it something that we can be the very best at? So let me go back to my earlier example of the, the, the neurology versus neurosurgery. Could we build a neurosurgical program at Owasso? Uh, we, 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 we probably could, uh, and, and we, might be, we might be very successful, uh, but we're certainly not going to do it quickly. Uh, we have a phenomenally successful potential partner that, that seemed, at least on the front end, very willing uh, to, to give and take, and that's a key to this. Uh, and they've proven to be, in fact, that, that form of, of partner. Uh, so we knew that in order for us to be successful in an independent uh, or an interdependent status, uh, it was going to require us to focus our limited resources in a few key areas, which meant that we couldn't be everything to everyone, but our community still had needs. Our community still had uh, 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 support that they, that they required in certain areas. So what we wanted to ensure is those things that we couldn't personally provide, we were still the trusted advisor and we were still the gatekeeper, if you will, for our community where we could develop relationships that, that we would feel confident in, in providing those services and then making sure that they came home. So you know, for some hospitals, it may be they don't have a strong orthopedic program, but they have a phenomenal uh, uh, rehabilitative uh, services program. So let's go out, get the services done at a partner, uh, you know, and, and then bring them home where that, that, that um, whether it's several days, several weeks, or even months of rehabilitative therapy takes place. Uh, and, and again, both, both are successful. Uh, got great orthopedic services that are extended, and at the same time, uh, you're 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 focusing on on those things that you can and should do at, at, at home. So when we look at those services, JJ, we look at them to is is there a community need there, and is Memorial the best positioned to fill that, or should we be looking for a trusted partner? to help us extend our capabilities in a responsible, affordable way to provide that access to care. 
Now, partnerships and collaborations can also go outside of providing care directly. For example, you, JJ, and some other rural hospital folks get together regularly and you're discussing the challenges you're facing, giving each other ideas. How does this type of relationship, maybe more than a partnership or a collaboration, how does that impact your hospital and better the care in your community, even though it's really not directly facilitating new care delivery? The way they help is we have, I I would call it a a collective body of intelligence or knowledge that we can benefit from. There's, there was a a very good, and I think it's still going on. I haven't been to one in a, in a couple of years now, but when Quint Studer had the, the Studer group, um, he used to put on a presentation called What's Right in Healthcare. And, and I jokingly said at one time, well, this is going to be a short conference. But the, 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 reality, the reality is it, it was an excellent conference. And the reason it was is because we had the opportunity to network and hear the stories of hospitals that have gone through a challenge and come out the other end with good ideas, good results, and they were sharing that with their neighbors, their friends, the part uh, of, of the environment that we're all in collectively and as providing excellent health care to the communities we serve. So I think that collaborative approach, even outside of direct patient care or clinical services, is invaluable as an information source, as a collaborative for that shared uh, or joint knowledge and intelligence base. So that, that's, that's my take on, on that. So hopefully we'll have a healthcare innovation expert on the podcast soon to talk about uh, rural health's ability to stay on the forefront with our care delivery. Uh, but that's another challenge that rural hospitals have due to the resource limitations. So how do partnerships and collaborations contribute to rural hospitals' ability to innovate and adopt new practices as they become more available in the healthcare uh, space? Yeah, that's, uh, again, I, I, a great question, and, and I think it's, it's almost an extension of where I left off in that if we take maybe a beginning of that, of that kind of shared knowledge or shared intelligence, uh, that, that's, a, that's a great place. Now, uh, one thing that I'd like to use as a personal example, and I mentioned the Studer event, uh, probably six uh, or seven years, I guess it's six years ago now, a gentleman and I, uh, he was my chief experience officer at the time. He just retired at the end of uh, this this uh, this last uh, quarter um, and is now vacationing down permanently in sunny Florida. But uh, Mr. Jim Barb was our um, chief experience officer, and we were attending Studer's What's Right in Healthcare. And uh, we talked about trying to engage a more consistent message, uh, provide a consistent message and engage more of our employees within the organization. We were doing things like town hall meetings, but it was in small groups. It wasn't getting the kind of results that we wanted. And at a lunch and after discussion with Jim, I came out and threw out the idea, we need to do this almost as a production. And that was the initial catalyst behind something that we call our, our power series. Now we've had five of those over the over the last five years. We've had uh, one that was the power of, of you as the individual, the power of us collectively, the power of compassion, uh, the power of innovation was last year. And we've had guest speakers from Rudy Rudiger from the, of course, the, the story at, at Notre Dame to, to individuals who talked about their trip through healthcare as a patient in the power of compassion. And that that was a 
that was an, uh, an extraordinarily, I think, innovative idea for us to pursue. It's been, I think, wildly successful. It's helped us improve our engagement scores, uh, our, our uh, building a relationship across a variety of, of service areas. But it wasn't completely my idea or Jim's idea. It was an opportunity to benefit from from discussions, from things that we heard at Studer, from from other ways. We made it our own, and we created something innovative. But it was built on the shoulders, uh, as I said, of efforts made by others first. So I I think that interdependence is a is an opportunity to be even more innovative by that collective intelligence, that collective uh, knowledge base that you can you can benefit from. So one last question for you, Brian, as you look toward the future, do you see the role of partnerships and collaborations with rural hospitals evolving or changing in the next five to 10 years? Do you think we'll become more interdependent or less interdependent? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to give you my, my hope and desire first, and I hope we become even more uh, interdependent uh, and look for opportunities to, to leverage uh, those, those experiences and those knowledges that uh, that we've built, as I said, in some cases by by the scars on our on our body that we've gone through. Um, the the reality is, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take uh, developing the trust, and it's gonna it's gonna take the desire of those individuals within the healthcare environment to do that. Uh, I am um, I'm not an I- idealist, but I, I I I feel I guess I'm more of a realist, uh, and yet I do have an optimistic view that at least for the community partners, that that opportunity is real and it's it, the potential is there. And I think there's more desire than ever before to see that come to, to some type of fruition. I will say this, the majority of healthcare is still provided in the community hospitals of America. And so we have the opportunity outside the large systems or not to still make a big change and, and a big impact. So I'm not... I'm certainly not throwing in the towel. If anything, I'm ready to double down because I think what we've done at Memorial is a demonstration that it can work, it can be effective, and it's exciting to see that there's like feelings and aspirations in partners such as at Hillsdale doing the same exact thing, uh, and and it's simply now uh, you know a matter of maybe aligning some of that uh, to create a a you know a more um, a, a more compelling argument of why this is not only possible, but the best model or the better model to move forward with. Well, Brian, first, congratulations on your huge success in quality, finance, people. You have done a phenomenal job uh, at your hospital, and I am very glad to be able to call you a friend in the industry and to have your support here at Hillsdale Hospital. And second of all, I just want to thank you for being on our program today to raise the awareness of the importance of rural health in America and our communities that we live in and the impact that we make on a daily basis to our patients and those in our community. So thank you very much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Uh, it's, um, you know, we're, we're, we're truly all in this together and it's, uh, it, it's, it's, motivating and it's a, a a reassurance i guess to know that you know we're we're all struggling with some of these same problems and we we have some similar perspectives uh, so it's it's nice to know that there's uh uh like-minded 
uh, folks out there, and uh, and I think we can all benefit from that. So thank you, JJ, and I appreciate it, Rachel. It's uh, It's been a great opportunity and a pleasure to speak with you today. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Today we have a story from Kathy, who we actually heard from in Episode 4, but this time we're going to hear about Kathy's experience as a grandmother and an important decision her daughter made. Here's their story. I have a daughter who lives in another town that came here to have her baby because because of the reputation of the OB department here. The skill level that you find here is equal as far as I'm concerned to any any hospital or superior to any hospital. And I think we're so lucky to be in a small town like this to have what's available to us be here so close. This is such a great testament to the quality of care that our team in the birthing center provides to our patients. Not only that, but it's not a secret that we provide a safe, welcoming, and comfortable environment for families to bring new life into the world. Our team is recognized for that, and we've been able to build a reputation for that. And I think that says a lot about our hospital. So before you sign off, though, Brian, we're going to put you on the spot. Um, And we do this fun little segment every time with our guest. Um, We want to know. What is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories uh, that is unique to a rural life? You know, I was born and raised in a small town, uh, a village, actually, and it was part uh, or or contiguous to a small town uh, up in mid-Michigan. And, you know, that's where I've worked. It's been in throughout the Midwest. It's been in Nebraska and Iowa. It's been in uh, Central Illinois. It's been in Michigan. It's been up in Minnesota and even Montana. But the people and the communities are very similar, and and uh, that is is probably been the thing that's impacted me the most. Uh, now, how unique and, and how similar? It's it's interesting. I had an experience that was um, really probably the most uh, uh, impacting in in my career as to what a community does and how it pulls together. Leading a small hospital up in um, up in northern Minnesota, I received a call one Sunday evening that, well, Mr. Long, we have a small leak in, in our lower level. Well, when I arrived at the hospital, I found out that the small leak was, um, was actually a six-inch water line that had uh, ruptured through the floor oh. and flooded about 40,000 square feet of hospital oh my gosh. Uh, in, in about five minutes and took out all of those areas and more that I just described. And I spent the next, oh, probably three or four weeks every morning on the radio giving the community an update. We had to evacuate the hospital for a period of time. Uh, we, uh, Our closest hospital at that time, a U.S. hospital, uh, was 65 miles to our south, and it was a smaller critical access hospital than what we were. Uh, we had an emergency C-section uh, area set up in our gift shop in case we had an emergency delivery that was necessary. And, you know, that community came through in ways that you, you, could, not, you could not believe. And it was, it was just such a, a refreshing, uh, challenging, but such a refreshing 
and uh, and and really uh, an excellent way of seeing what a community hospital means to the community. But more importantly for me, how much the hospital meant to them, uh, not not just how much the community means to us. We 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 know that. I think we live that. So I don't think you you don't get that in in some of the larger systems. You don't you don't have that type of camaraderie. You don't understand how pivotal it is to the health and welfare of the community. So for me, uh, I guess maybe that was my most unique hospital uh, or or healthcare role experience, um, and it was a it was a it was a big one. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But that was a that was that was certainly an eye opener. Well, thanks, Brian. You certainly can't get any more rule than having a C-section room in, in your gift, gift shop. shop. But that... the good news is you can have your baby and get your gift, too. Right That's there. right. There you, go. Right. I think there you go. You can get probably like a onesie Balloon, with the hospital onesie, logo on it. It's probably absolutely. right next. You can probably just reach out and grab it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Fortunately, we never had to use that emergency. <laughs> but, well, that's good, Brian. Yeah. That's good. Well, thanks for joining us again today. We appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, folks. Appreciate it. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about rural health finance with another one of our friends who is also a rural CEO, not too far from here. So be sure to tune in. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269-447-1265 and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. Again, that number is area code 269-447-1265. You can also look that up on our website at RuralHealthRising.com. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Brian Long, president and CEO of Memorial Healthcare in Owasso, Michigan. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient and family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.